You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And we are in the habit of not putting up the scripture on the screen and kind of forcing you to turn. So turn, please do. Turn to Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 5. And this is something called the Shema. Everybody say Shema. Okay, so if you look up here and you see the word Shema, that's just an incorrect uh, pronunciation of Shema, which is the, the Hebrew word for hear. And, and the, the idea is Hebrew, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the great passage, the very famous passage called the Shema. And a good Jewish person uh, will often say this, this uh, saying three, four times a day, at least when they rise and at least when they go to sleep. And there it is in, in the Hebrew. Any Hebrew fans, anybody? Like a Hebrew nerd fan? Anybody have a Hebrew tattoo? This would be a sweet Hebrew tattoo if you're into Hebrew tattoos. But it says Shema, which is the word here, and then the word Israel. And you read from right to left, just in case you were wondering. So that's the word Israel from right to left. Kind of looks like a comma, W, whatever, the X, L thing in there. Anyways, Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Elohai, Echad, which means, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so I want to read the, the context of the passage leading up to this, and it says this. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, if you're there, and it says this. These are the commandments, the decrees, and the laws of the Lord your God directed to me to teach you. So this is Moses saying, um, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you and your children and your children after that may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and the commandments that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. And then hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey that I may go with you and that you may not, that you may greatly increase in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God and ancestors promised you. And in this verse, this is the Shema. Shall we read it together? So here it is up here. Um, Let's read it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's a, a passage, the scripture that, 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 that we as Christians believe in and the Jewish people very, take to heart. And so today we are going to talk about the Trinity and how this passage applies to us as Christians because we believe in one God and yet he has three persons. And so how does this happen? Uh, what can we say about the doctrine of the Trinity? Um, but before we do that, let's pray. So Lord, we enter into your presence right now with our, with our minds and our hearts. God, would you open them up to you and to receive this understanding of who you are, a triune, three-person God that is, that is one being. And so, God, may we understand that and may we, um, with this understanding, be responsible with our faith and explain it well and, and live out our faith according to the beliefs and the truths that we know. So God, we love you and we praise you. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. So I want to tell you a story. Um, the story in a, in a roundabout way is about the Trinity, and this is a Trinity knot, uh, kind of an, an analogy of the Trinity. We'll get to some of those later. But it has to do with me when I was, uh, back in the day, when I was moving from New Mexico to Utah, I was a sophomore in college. Anybody a sophomore now? 
It's a good year. I see lots of hands. Cool. It's a good year. It's a great year. And I moved from New Mexico to Utah. And moving is always kind of rough. And you have to find a new church, find a new group of friends, get adjusted to where you live and the school and all that. So I was trying to find a church. And uh, I happened about this church that I would end up going to for the next uh, like three or four years um, because I went to a Five Iron Frenzy concert. Anybody remember them? So anyway, that's a side note of the story. But I went to a Five Iron Frenzy concert. Was like, dude, this church is sweet. They had Five Iron Frenzy. It must be a great church. And it was actually a great church, not for that reason, but because the people were godly. It was godly teaching. I went to this college group, this Sunday school. There was probably like 15 of us. And we would hang out, learn from the teacher. It was a great teacher. And then we'd go to big church, maybe like a lot of us do. And here, we'd, you know, we meet for Sunday school. Then we'd go to big church. And then we'd always go out to eat afterwards. But I remember it was probably the first or second Sunday I had, I had visiting this church and kind of realizing this is going to be my church. These, these people are good people. They're godly. The, the church is awesome. This is going to be my church. So I went out to eat with them um, and Wendy's. They went to Wendy's like every single Sunday. It was like this tradition. And I, I would always eat the same thing, a junior bacon cheeseburger, because it was only a buck and because I was poor because I was a sophomore in college. So it was perfect food for that time. And so here we are. So we're in Utah. I just moved there and we're, we're having a conversation about, I think for, for some reason the, the pastor was talking about God and the Trinity, and so that was our conversation at lunch. We were talking about the Trinity, and I remember sitting at this table with people that I just, you know, got to know last week, and here I am uh, at Wendy's eating my burger and kind of making a fool out of myself because I began to joke about the Trinity. I was like, Trinity, who could understand that? It's like trying to understand the mind of a woman. Am I right or am I right? Am I right? <laughs> And everybody was just like, ha-ha, Joe, ha-ha. And I went on. I was like, Trinity's so boring. You can never understand it. It's more like Borophil, right, everybody? And I was just like, you can never understand it. It's just this mystery. We just have to believe it because we have to, because people tell us we have to. And I'm just kind of like rambling on and on as, as I'm eating my junior bacon cheeseburger. And these, these people are just looking at me like I have like lobsters coming out of my ears that I'm saying something totally heretical, which I, I kind of was. I was making fun of the doctrine of the Trinity. And they stopped me. Um, because they said, Joe, listen, this is Utah. This isn't Kansas anymore. Or in my case, this isn't New Mexico anymore. I just moved there. Is that we take the doctrine of the Trinity extremely seriously here. You can't just joke that you can't understand. You can't just joke that it's a mystery and it's, it's silly or you just have to believe in it because someone tells you to believe in it. We need to be able to explain the Trinity. And, and the reason is because it was in Utah and Utah, the population, uh, the religion of Utah is like 70 uh, something percent Mormon. And the Mormon God, here's a picture of uh, the Mormon Jesus or the Mormon God, actually two different things uh, in their understanding. Uh, this is the Mormon temple in Salt Lake, a picture of it. Um, but in the, in the Mormon religion, they don't believe in the Trinity. And so that, that, that we as evangelical Protestant Christians in Utah, the church that I found, they were telling me and explaining over this uh, Wendy's lunch that I need to take the Trinity seriously and understand it because compared to 70% of the population of Utah uh, that are Mormons, they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that the God of Mormonism was, was created. And we would say, whoa, our God wasn't created. Our God always has been, always will be. But they say, yeah, the God of the, the Mormon religion is the God over the earth and maybe the solar system universe, but not the God over other planets. There's other gods with, with equal power. And, and the Mormons worship one God, but there's other gods out there. And so it's, it's not really polytheism. It's called something else, but, it's, but it, it kind of is. Um, and, and so the God that the Mormons believe 
believe in, was created, was once a human, is from the planet Kolob, and came to this planet and now rules this planet and had a son, a couple sons. Uh, One of them was Jesus. One of them was Satan. So Satan and Jesus are brothers in the Mormon religion. And it's just very different. Once you say it's different, and, and I think we as evangelical Christians should have the utmost expect, uh, respect for Mormons and understand uh, their beliefs. I personally would never call Mormons a cult because I just think that that is such a slam word. It's just like a slap in the face. It's just a, a bad word. It's just a sarcasm and just slaps them to the face. So I always say, well, well if, you know, what are they if they're, if they're not um, evangelical Christians? Well, I would just say it's a totally different religion. Um, it's, a, it's a very different God. It's not a triune God. Jesus is not God in their religion. Jesus has a brother named Satan. A God was created and lived in a planet, or son named Kolob, and then came here to, um, to rule this earth. And that, that is just very different than the God we believe in as evangelical Christians. So I say that story that I learned a lesson that day in the Wendy's eating my junior bacon cheeseburger. Um, I learned the lesson of how important the doctrine of the Trinity is because I had just always been around church cultures of Christian church, evangelical Christians, and we just talk about the Trinity like, oh yeah, we believe in it. It's God's three and he's one. Great. Yeah, we believe in it. It's a mystery. But you really don't understand the Trinity until you have to explain it to someone who is very similar in your beliefs, but is also very different and doesn't hold to the Trinity. So I, I say that that story to to say that what we're about to do in here in the Mill Sunday School today is talk about the Trinity. This will be our first lesson in October, the first lesson starting this month topic of theology. Cool? Cool. All right. So just as far as welcomes and a few announcements, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. We are glad that you're here. If you're new, we have these cards on the table. I think they look something like this, and you could fill one of them out. Um, all we really do with this information, if you're curious, is to email you more about uh, what we do as the Mill, to tell you about the Mill on a Friday night. And if you fill this out and bring it to the nice people when you leave, they'll give you a CD of a worship song that we recorded uh, from one of our Friday nights, the, the Mill Band. And and there's a welcome from our mill pastor, Daniel Grothy, just saying what we, who we are, what we're about, that we have small groups in Sunday school with Chardy in. So uh, that's that. Um, is anybody going to this? Yes. The Mill Fall Retreat is, is coming right up uh, the end of this month. There will be no mill that weekend. There will be no mill Sunday school that weekend. Um, but... I am actually speaking at the fall retreat on Sunday morning, so there will be Sunday school. It'll just be up in Boone Vista, Colorado uh, at Frontier Ranch. So um, the Mill Fall Retreat, it's kind of, uh, we don't really do a lot of announcements, but this is the one announcement. The one thing that the Mill really does, and we have done year after year, is that we as a community go up into the mountains kind of together. We pray, we worship, but we also have a lot of fun. We eat good food, we play games, and if you don't know anybody, that's like the perfect time to go on the fall retreat because if you've ever been on any retreat, you know that you sit on a bus with people, you ride up together, you just have so much fun, um, and you will meet people and form community. Um, so the Milfar Treat. Who's going? Raise your hand. If you're going, yes, lots of people. So you should go too. If you've never been, ask somebody if they have been and how awesome it is, and they'll tell you, yeah, it's pretty awesome. So we are in this series called Systematic Theology. Um, if you look at on, on your tables, like this little bookmark-shaped uh, piece of paper, and it says what topics we're talking about 
for the next nine months. Actually, we've already talked, in September we talked about the introductions to Christian theology. And so October is this month where we'll be talking about the doctrine of God. Uh, and so uh, and then next month we'll talk about creation. The next month we'll talk about uh, anthropology, the study of humanity. And so what we're doing here in the Mill Sunday School, if you're, if you're new to us right now, is going over systematic theology. This is the system of systematic theology. And if you want to know more about that, you're like, oh, cool, I would like to know more. Well, then you could podcast uh, last month's talks. We, we do have them on the Mill website, and so you could listen to that. Um, and so I've joked last time, and I thought I confused some of you and threw off some of you, that, that since this is nine months um, of systematic theology, you can learn a lot in nine months. In fact, nine months is long enough to have a baby. So here's a little a video of Jay reading a systematic theology book. So in nine months, this is what you'll be like. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I can go twice as high. Oh, God, he's reading the book. Take a look. See how he's going to hold it up. See, it's a, it's a theology book, and he's looking at us. So that'll be you in nine months. Does that help or just confuse you? It confuses? Okay, I thought so. Anyways... Let's talk about theology, shall we? And so we can use this word theology to just, to just kind of a general idea of like, oh, anything about the Bible, anything about the Christian religion. But here specifically this month, we are using uh, the, the term theology to talk about theology proper, meaning specifically the study of our God, his attributes, his nature, what he does. And so we have three Sundays only this month of October. There's actually four uh, Sundays in October if you look at a calendar. But like I said, uh, the last Sunday of this month is fall retreat. And so we will be up there. So this month, and since we do topics by month, sometimes that uh, hinders us, sometimes that really helps us and keeps us on track. Uh, we only have three Sundays. So this today we're going to talk about the Trinity. Next Sunday we're going to talk about attributes of God. And the Sunday after that we're going to talk about uh, a, a kind of a subcategory of the attributes, specifically transcendence and imminence. And we'll talk about those terms. And those, all three of those things, the Trinity, the attributes of God, transcendence and, and imminence, are close-handed issues. And we talked about this last time. I think it's pretty easy to understand that we as Christians hold uh, foundational doctrines in a closed hand. And we hold methodology things in an open hand. We say, oh, uh, maybe some denominational issues or um, how we go about doing things or um, you know, what a church should look like, the building. Those are all open-handed things. We'd put those in an open hand and say, yeah, we're, we're all friends within the, the, the Christian denominations. You know, whether you have a cross on your uh, steeple or you don't, or whether you um, have blue carpet or gray carpet, these are all open-handed issues. Some of them are quite meaningless. Some of them are very important, but they're still open-handed. And the closed-handed issue, my left hand, would be issues of doctrine, issues that all Christians everywhere should hold as foundational doctrinal issues, like the things in the Nicene Creed, the things in the Apostles' Creed, if you're familiar with those creeds, that uh, God is ultimate, that Jesus is Lord, that um, the Trinity, is, you could see that in the Nicene Creed, um, things that all Christians everywhere would believe in. So the three um, things that we are going to talk about, the three um, uh, close-handed issues for theology are going to be the Trinity, the attributes of God, and transcendence and eminence. That's the three lessons this month. So um, just this bigger idea of uh, this quote by A.W. Tozer that says, oh, what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. Have you heard that quote before? 
And so we are going to begin today with the Trinity and that we believe in a triune God. And to get our kind of mental thinking caps ready, um, this is one analogy of the Trinity. It's a painting of uh, three people, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, um, with, their, with their halos and wings um, in this holy atmosphere. It looks like they're eating something. It's like they're having dinner together. And we would say that this is a representation of the, thr- of the Trinity. Three persons. This is a painting by uh, Rublev in the 1400s, a Russian painter. And it's, it's a pretty popular painting when people think and consider the Trinity. Um, another way to do it would be this, which is a little more creepy. Anybody creeped out by that? It's, it's just kind of... Um, it's just a little creepy, but this would, this would, so the other one was three individual persons, right? Three people at a table. This one is like one being with like three faces and it's, it's a little creepy, um, to think about, but this one would emphasize the oneness of God. And so, so I think you, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you know that the Trinity is the God we believe in and he is three persons and yet one being. He's one God. And so why do we believe in the Trinity? Well, we'd ultimately say that the Trinity is in the Bible. We'd say that we read scripture, Old and New Testaments, with this idea that God is both one God. We, we are, um, we are uh, um, what's it when you believe in one God? Monotheism. Sorry, I, sometimes I get up here and I just start rambling. Mono, we are monotheists and we would say that the God of the Bible also has three persons within this monotheistic God belief. And so why do we say that? Well, here's a bunch of scriptures that I'm going to go through very quickly. I put them all up here. So in case you want to write them all down, it'll be easier to follow along if, if I just list them all. And then we'll go over each one. This is by no means a, um, uh, like a, uh, man, I'm struggling with my words. What's that when you have like all encompassing? Comprehensive. Gosh, I'm struggling. Pray for me, just silently, right there in your chair. Um, anyways, uh, this is by no means a comprehensive list of all the scriptures representing the Trinity, but these were some of my favorites. And so I'll just go over each and, each and every one of these very quickly. It looks like there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them that I have, but you could probably think of other ones that are not on this list um, that maybe hold for you an important value of, of showing a triune God um, and that's why we believe in him. So Hebrews 1.3 says, uh, it's talking about Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his nature. So that, that the exact representation of his nature. So you're like, okay, so Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. That kind of sounds to me like they're one. And then we'll move right along. Philippians 2, this is a, a passage often called the kenosis passage where Jesus gives up his God nature. And it begins with this. It says, although he existed in the form of God. So Jesus, talking about Jesus again, Jesus existed in the form of God. So that's pretty huge to us as Christians um, that say, okay, Jesus is in fact God. And that's pretty central to our beliefs. I would say that that is a foundational issue everywhere um, if you're a Christian. And so if you're talking to another person and they say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe Jesus is God. We would kind of draw some sort of line and say, well, maybe you're a Christian because you believe in Jesus, but saying he's not God is pretty huge. You're, you're not a Protestant evangelical Christian. You would not agree with the, the Nicene 
Nicene Creed, you would not agree with the Apostles' Creed, you would not agree with the tenets of new life, or I, I, I can't think of any Christian denomination that you would agree with if you said that Jesus is not God. That's fundamental to our belief. And it's fundamental to understanding the Trinity. And, and in some ways, I've heard uh, teachers, some of my professors at seminary said, well, the, the gist of getting the Trinity is if you understand Jesus is God, then it's like, that's the gist of it. And you, if you could wrap your mind around that, then it's like, okay, and the, the Holy Spirit is also like Jesus because Jesus says that he will send someone like himself. And so if that helps you at all, um, I think that helped me. So anyways, uh, moving right along. Matthew twenty eight nineteen says, uh, this is kind of just a Trinitarian greeting. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's like this, baptize them in the names of God, the, these, these three persons of this, uh, this God who is one being. Um, and then 1 Peter 1, 2 says, according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying works. This is just a, a kind of a Trinitarian how things work. The foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ at the sprinkling of his blood. May grace and peace be with you. So it's kind of like this greeting at the beginning of 1 Peter that is Trinitarian. And then these, these next four verses are some of my favorite verses. The book of John, uh, the gospel of John is one of these books that you just see the Trinity over and over again. You see Jesus make these claims of deity that are very important, uh, beginning right with John 1.1. 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and it, it goes on to say, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And of course, the Word is Jesus. And so we would say, okay, look at that verse, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's like right there, it's like, okay, duh. If there's any um, doubt that Jesus is not God and you're like, did Jesus really claim that? Well, duh, John 1, 1. He was with God and yet he was God. And, and that, that, that verse is so central to our understanding of the Trinity and, and Christology that, that it's just, in my mind, it's just like, duh. And we don't, I don't think we get enough duh these days. So it's, I think I'm trying to, I'm bringing back duh and I'm bringing back cool beans. Because I think, why, why aren't we saying that anymore? Why isn't that cool? It should be very cool. Um, anyways, more important things. John, uh, I think, is this, is it 8? I, I think I might have wrote this down wrong. Uh, is it, I think it's John 8, 58, not John 5, 58. I apologize if that's wrong. But it's where Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born... I am. And he makes this statement in Greek, ego ami, which is a reference to the Hebrew Yahweh, which is when Moses is at the burning bush and Moses says, what's your name? And God says, I am. Tell him that I am sent you. And that word is Yahweh in the Hebrew. Uh, Jesus here says ego ami, at least as it's recorded in the Greek. And so it's like, okay, he's, he's claiming that he is He's saying before Abraham was, I am. And he's using that, that deity, that word. And then what do people there do? They pick up stones to kill him because he being, they, they're accusing him being a very man, are claiming to be God. So there's no way to like go about misinterpreting it because it's like, well, there's the crowd. How did they interpret it at the time? They wanted to kill him because he was claiming to be God. Um, and then John 10.30, very simple. Jesus just says, I and the Father am one. And then, uh, sorry, John 14.9 um, is a verse where Jesus says to them, um, I've been with you so long and yet you do not, uh, you, you have not come to know me, Philip. Um, and then he says this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so it's like, oh, okay, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God the Father, um, that's a pretty bold 
claim. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider those verses and this claim that we believe in a a triune God, a three persons, and yet he is one God, and try to explain it. So at your tables, get into a bit of a discussion. Make sure you know the people at your table first. Make sure you know each other's names. Uh, That's just being cordial. And then go into it. How do you explain that God is three persons, yet we believe in one God? Basically, how do you explain the Trinity? Ready, get set, discuss. Stop the discussion time a little early because I'm already seeing hands go up, which is exciting to me. Erin, you have something? I actually came up with this a few years ago, and I think it's more or less probably still a weak example of the Trinity, but I think of it like the the molecule compound of H2O. Oh, yeah. And it's natural state, water is liquid, and that's like God in his natural form. He's um, in everything. He's around everything. He can see everything. And then... um, Oh, just, 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 just people. Look at, look at how it's nice people. They're just your friends. Sorry. They're just your friends. And then um, Jesus is an example. Um, I use ice. It's still H2O, but it's solid. You can touch it. You can see it. Um, you can hold it. It's there. It's physical, but it's still H2O. And then the last uh, thing the being the Holy vapor. Spirit yeah. is water vapor. So when it heats up, it expands and it, it spreads into everything. So that's kind of how I've pictured it's yeah. still h2o that's good she's so smart have you heard that uh analogy before um aaron and then i think mr tips after after aaron give us uh your understanding of the trinity oh, okay in in uh in fairness this is somewhat topical uh but a way a way to approach perhaps the trinity in a new and exciting way is is our federal government our federal government. Oh, here is, we go. This guy. <laughs> okay, it, bear with me here. It, it's comprised of we three are, branches. One branch writes the law. One branch upholds the law, or enforces it, and one branch judges the law. To to hold it, yeah. uh, You know, to to the standard of of uh, what what is applicable to us. So, I think that's one way to look at the Trinity. We we have one part that has given us the law one part that has taught us or enforced the law, and then one part that reminds us of what the law is. Good. Yeah, all right. I like it. Another analogy of the Trinity. You had something, Mr. Tips? <clears throat> the way that um, I thought of the Trinity is that human beings, us being essentially body, soul, and spirit, uh, uh, three in one, and then in Genesis it says that God made us in his image. So it yeah. makes sense that God being Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, being a three-in-one, that he would copy that in us. That like our mind, our soul, our body, that kind of thing. Yeah. Good. I like it. Thank you, Mr. Madison Tips. Anybody else? We're good? That, that was great comments. Thank you, three, for, for sharing. And, and, and it was three of you, so it's very Trinitarian of us to, to end the comments with just three. But we do need to talk about what we what we mentioned, and all three of you had analogies for the Trinity. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, and analogies are very helpful for us as humans to share ideas of something much bigger in an idea that we could wrap our mind around. But we really do need to talk about what we can say about the Trinity. And I, I learned my lesson way back in the day in the, that uh, Wendy's in Utah when all my friends kind of converged on me and said, don't say that you just believe in the Trinity because you have to and you can't explain it. Well, there's a mystery about it, but there is things that we can explain. There are things that we need to explain. 
There are implications of the Trinity. And we need to talk about this idea of the oneness and the threeness of God. And we usually say it like this. We say we believe in one God who is three persons. So if you have this continuum, is there, do, you have, do you have a pin in your, in your, take your pin and like put it on your two fingers like this. And it's so easy for all of us to find the middle. In fact, if you, if you just move to the middle, it automatically does it like magic. Have you ever noticed that? It just does it. Do you see it doing it? It's like, it's, we as humans want to find balance in all things, but when it comes to the Trinity, there's not really a balance. And let me explain what I mean by that. So even though we want to find a balance in something, this is something where there isn't a balance. And so if we believe in the threeness of God and we believe in his oneness, what would the middle of that continuum be? Two. Do we believe in two gods? Everybody say No. No, we don't. We believe in one God who is three persons. And so while we want to find the middle ground of God's threeness and oneness, we can't. Here's what we do say as Christians. We say we fully embrace the three persons while at the same time, one God. And so it's, we, we don't say, oh, God is one without the three persons. And we don't say, oh, God is three persons without being that one. It's fully both at the same time. And so even though we want to find this balance and say uh, things that are so balanced between the threeness and the oneness, it's like this continuum. Uh, it's not a continuum. It's like two bullet points that are both true. And for the Trinity, how can God both be three and one at the same time? Well, that's where we begin to talk about mystery, and that's where we say in some ways, well, God came before us. He created us. We, we don't need to explain him in, 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 of his, in his being, but we do need to say what he is, and we do need to say what he has revealed himself to us as, which we would say he's fully three and he's fully one at the same time. So that's what we say. And so when we exaggerate the threeness, this may help, um, so if, you're, if you just talk about the three persons all the time, if all you talk about is analogies that um, talk about the threeness, if all you do is talk about three individual gods without that oneness, then what you would be is a polytheist. And I think um, Mormons would be classic uh, tritheists or polytheists, or they believe in even more uh, gods than the god of our planet and world. Um, but they would say uh, Jesus is, is like a, a God, but he's not God. And then there's God of this world. Um, it's just a very different belief than what we as Protestant evangelical Christians would say. And so if you exaggerate the threeness, uh, this, if you exaggerate the threeness without the oneness, that's what you would start talking about. You talk about, oh yeah, Jesus is God and the Spirit is God. And you might say silly things like, oh, at the prayer meeting, I had this great prayer meeting. Um, I felt like God was there, but the Spirit wasn't there. And you're like, wait, what does that mean? Like, how can God be there and the Spirit wouldn't be there? Or you talk about things like um, uh, the, the deity of Jesus. You say things like, um, trying to think of an example, um, that Jesus... Uh, um, maybe didn't know what he was doing or something. It's like, well, God knew what Jesus do, was doing, but Jesus didn't know what he was doing. And you say, well, there is the three persons that Jesus isn't God the Father, but yet you're, you're, you're not considering the oneness, that Jesus is in fact God himself. And so if God the Father knows something, well, then wouldn't Jesus know it too if they're one in being? And so you have this mystery here, but if you overemphasize the threeness, well, then you, you get into problems of, of, of over, you know, over, like, I guess, uh, what's those things that you put corn in? Like siloing? Is that it? Anyways, I'm struggling up here. 
Yeah, you, you over-silo each individual person, then it's like, the, where, well, where's the oneness of the three? Does that make sense? I probably just confused you more with the word I couldn't figure out, silo. Anyways, if you overemphasize the oneness without the threeness, you would, you would emphasize this monolithic God without person. And you would say um, maybe things like, uh, like uh, a Jehovah's Witness would say or things like uh, Islam would say. And they would say that, oh, the idea of Jesus being God to them is totally heretical because they, they would say, oh, God is God. You know, they would, they would emphasize the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we would believe in that. And we'd say, yeah, he's one. But he's also three persons, and Jesus makes divinity claims that we, as followers of him, have to take seriously. And so, there, so we, um, to, to kind of review, and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of rambling in a way, so we'll go on to analogies in a second, but the threeness, it's fully three persons and fully one being at the same time, and there's things that we could, if we overemphasize one or the other, then we run into these theological problems, and if we try to combine the two, like, oh, it's three and one, like a combo, like a two, but no, it's not, like it's fully three and fully one at the same time, and that's what we can begin to say about the Trinity. That's what we have to say about the Trinity. And so let's move on to um, analogies of the Trinity, which all three of you uh, during the discussion um, said. The first one happens to be the water analogy that Erin already told us about. So it's, it's, I won't explain it any further because she did a wonderful job doing so. And so there's the water one. Um, I have six of them. And I, I heard the, the one Aaron Higgins said was the God is three-part government or whatever. And you all booed him, but that's a good example too. Um, uh, and I'm sure that some of you have different analogies of the Trinity because we've, if you've grown up in church, if you've grown up in Sunday school, well, we want to take this idea of the Trinity and we want to explain it in, in ways that we can understand. So um, it, is an analogy totally true to what it is representing? Well, of course not. Because would, would, would we say God is water? <laughs> say it. No, he's not. You, you could say, oh, in some ways the Trinity is like water because, you know, blah, blah, blah. But we would, at the end of the day, we'd say, well, God's not water. Have you heard this one before, anybody? The egg, that the God is the egg yolk, the, uh, what's the white stuff called? It's just called the white stuff, isn't it? The white stuff. Um, and then the shell. Um, so three parts, but it's still one egg. Uh, anybody heard this one before, the shamrock, St. Patty's Day? Nobody heard it? That's how, I guess, St. Patrick went to um, uh, Ireland and, and used this uh, analogy of the Trinity to talk about the triune God and won over uh, the hearts of all of Ireland, and Ireland became uh, Christian. You haven't heard that before? Have you heard of St. Patty's Day? Okay, good. Um, some people are really confused. Like, I was hearing, somebody was like, it's just like a month ago, someone was like using, like saying the, the phrase like, oh, blah, 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 has to be true. The Pope's Catholic, right? Or like, does a bear poop in the woods? Um, and the answer is like, yes, of course. But then, I, but he didn't say either of those. He says, is St. Patrick Irish? Like meaning like this inferable, yes, of course he is. But he's not. He was from Gaul. He's from France. And he was a missionary to Ireland. So I, I was just really confused because you know how I take things so literally. I was like, no, he's, he wasn't Irish. It's, this is very confusing. 
Anyways, so the three leaves of the clover, but it's still one clover. Have you heard this one, the braided, the knot? Uh, There's three ropes, they're braided together, so they represent one. Have you heard this one before? We talked about this one in our, we we have a think tank meeting uh, once a month that we talk about sermons, and I think Aaron Higgins and my wife brought up this example from uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, where he goes into the idea of God being like a cube, and it's how you view him from different angles, Um, that if you view him in a one-dimensional plane, if you didn't view a cube in one dimension, it would just look like a line. If you open it up to two dimensions, it would look like a square. And if you viewed God in all three dimensions, it would then look like the box or the cube. And so it's our perception of how we view God. In some way, God is like that. But in other ways, of course, God is not a cube. Is he? No. Um, And then the, the final example is the three uh, persons, the, the grandfather, the father, and the, the grandson. Let's say they all have the same name, like me. Uh, I'm Joseph Paul Kirkendall III. My dad is Joseph Paul Kirkendall Jr. And uh, his dad is Joseph Paul Kirkendall Sr. And so if the three of us were all like working on something, well, uh, we're all in you know unison working on something, and we're all named Joe, but we're all yet three persons. Has anybody heard that example before of the Trinity? Nobody? Just me? Well, anyways, I like it. So, look at all six of these for just a second. And here's what I want you to think about. Maybe pick one and ask yourself this question. Does this emphasize God's threeness or his oneness more? And so each one of these, I think we can go through them and say, uh, and kind of make an argument about each one and saying, well, this is a great analogy of the Trinity, but it falls short because it overemphasizes the threeness or the oneness more than the other one. So here's how I would look at each one of those. So we're going to go through all three of these and kind of break them down um, and say, I, I just think that in, in some ways, whenever you give an analogy of something, like for instance, the analogy of God and who he is, you have to caveat it with this idea that, oh, of course, he's not just like that because it, otherwise we'd worship water, for goodness sakes. He's not water. Um, so anyways, the first one, water, H2O, solid liquid gas, is still water either way. So I think this one, in a way, overemphasizes God's oneness. Without, so it's just like modes of, um, modes of being rather than actual persons. Does that make sense? And so there's, there was this heresy actually called modalism um, back in the day. Um, I guess it's still around today um, where you would overemphasize God's oneness and say that, oh, when Jesus appeared on this earth, it was just like God put on a different costume. And when he appears as a spirit, it's like, oh, it's his spirit costume. And when he appears as God the Father, it's like, oh, it's his, it's his God the Father costume. And, and so it's overemphasizing the, the oneness and not the three individual persons. Does that make sense? Okay, moving right along to the egg, I think the egg emphasizes the, um, what did I put down? The, the, the three different beings. Like a shell is not the white stuff, and the white stuff is not the yolk. And it, it all kind of makes one egg, but you could, you could separate it and say, yeah, the shell is definitely not this yolk. Uh, where is the oneness after you crack it open, maybe is what you could say. I'd say the shamrock, in, in my way of understanding the analogy at least, overemphasizes the mono. Um, the, the monolithic, the oneness of God without the threeness of God, I'd say it's still one plant and it's like three arms of a plant. So it's like this, this God with like three different arms. We'd say, no, the arms are actually persons. The, the, and a person is its own individual plant. So the shamrock in some ways overemphasizes the oneness without the threeness. Moving right along, what do you think about the braid? Three or one? 
I think it overemphasizes the, I think it, so I think it's the oneness, but I think it overemphasizes the threeness of God because it's three individual strings that are just kind of wrapped together. It's like, well, where's the oneness in that? You could still just separate them and they're just, um, they're just close together by being, you know, wound together. They're not really one. Um, and I think the cube overemphasizes, uh, in my understanding, overemphasizes the, the monolithic, the oneness of God because it's still a cube. It's just like you're looking at it from different angles. It's kind of like that modalism. Um, and so, um, yeah, are you kind of disturbed by this? So like going back to like your days of uh, elementary Sunday school and the teacher's like, God is just like water. You could actually go back to her and say, that's classic modalism. That's a heresy. Did you know that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get to go back and talk to my teacher. But, but in a way, but of course you wouldn't do that because we're not saying God is just like the water. You're just saying, oh, it's kind of like this. It helps us understand. And then of course the three uh, people, what would that overemphasize? Obviously the three, yeah, the threeness of God without the oneness. You could say, well, the grandson is not the, the father and the father is not the grandfather. They're just all have the same name. They're just working on something together. They're not, you know, one being. And so that's pretty easy to do. Um, has anybody ever heard the analogy of uh, St. Augustine who lived in the fourth century? St. Augustine on the Trinity wrote um, just this short, so I have it up here. I have a bunch of copies if, if you're interested in reading it. It's just three pages. It's Augustine on the Trinity, and this has kind of stood the test of time. If you've never heard of Augustine, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis, um, uh, I want to say on steroids, but I'm too literal, and so I just imagine like a ripped C.S. Lewis. That doesn't make <laughs> any sense. And I was going to say it's like C.S. Lewis on crack. Like we say that sometimes, but then what is that? What are we saying when we say that? It's like a drug addict? Like C.S. Lewis is a drug What are we saying? Anyways, I'm, I'm rambling and not sticking with the point. The point is, Augustine is this huge figure in Christian writing, probably, many argue, the most prolific Christian writer outside of the Bible. Um, and so Augustine writes an, an, an analogy of the Trinity. Have you ever heard of it before? It's called the lover, beloved love. Has anybody heard of it before? A few hands. It's, it's not as popular as I would think it would be, but it's, it's kind of the analogy, at least in the theological um, nerdy world, has stood the test of time of being a pretty cool analogy. But you have to read like uh, three pages front and back, like, like six pages just to get your mind on it's very slow, hard reading. But it's basically the gist of the idea is that uh, there's the lover, God the Father, who loves Jesus, and the love in between them is the Spirit. So you have the, this... This, this, these two beings uh, become one by the other one, and, and they're one, just like in a marriage, um, like I'm doing, uh, performing a wedding today, and we will say that the two, uh, the one plus one is not equaling two, but it's the one plus one is equaling one in this mysterious way. So it's this idea of a lover, and he loves uh, Jesus, so the Father loves Jesus, and the love in between them is the Spirit. And so this painting representing that um, is, is, is the two. I think they're like the, the lover and the lover, the God the Father uh, and God the Son, the, the Spirit is in between them, and they're like kissing the dove. It's kind of awkward if you think about it. Um, 
but maybe it's helpful. So I have these um, printouts if you want to come after Sunday school and get one. Uh, You can. I'll put them up here. And we will post a link on our uh, Mill Sunday School Facebook page. And then maybe I was hoping, like, it'd be really fun if you actually read it. And then it'd be even funner if we got into some discussion about it. Because I imagine over the last couple weeks I've been giving you reading assignments. And so many of you have come and got them. And so many of you have told me that you have read them. But there's sometimes just like, yeah, I read it. And then I wanted to talk about it, but none of my dumb friends read it. So I didn't have anybody to talk to it, talk about it with. Anyways, do you call your friends dumb? You shouldn't. I, I, I've kind of, I don't know. Maybe I'm tired or something this morning. I can't find my words. I'm saying random things. Um, so anyways, we'll, we'll have a link on the Facebook page. If you don't want to get the paper, you could download it. And then you could discuss right on there um, what, uh, what you thought about the analogy of the Trinity. Is that cool? Aaron, are you cool with that? Aaron's our Facebook page administrator. So Sweet. Okay. So to review very quickly, the threeness and oneness of God, we hold the threeness, we hold the oneness at the same time, the three persons of God, and yet he is a mono, uh, he is, we are monotheists, we believe in one God, and yet he has three persons, and, and while analogies about that are hard to come up with and mysterious, um, we should explain it. We should explain that we can't overemphasize the three, while, uh, or, and then the other side, we can't overemphasize the one. There's things to be said about that, um, but that's, I think, just what I want to say, because... I want to move on and kind of end with the implications of a triune God. Because in some ways, when we talk about the Trinity, all we're doing is like heresy hunting. And you might have heard me say today, um, oh, like, oh, the Mormons, they don't believe in the Trinity. Oh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, Muslims, they don't believe in the Trinity. Or your, uh, the, the modalists, they don't believe in the Trinity. And so it's almost like, oh, all we're really doing is heresy hunting and creating walls and saying, oh, it's us, them. And I never want to do that. I never want to disrespect another person or another uh, person's religion because that's so uh, important to them. I want to come and have dialogue and re- mutual respect for our understandings of things. And so if you hear me at all making fun of Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, or, or I am not doing that. I'm just, I think it's important to define what we believe in and say, oh, we as Protestant evangelical Christians would call that heresy if you don't believe in the Trinity, but, but to not just use that as like heresy hunting stuff. So what are the implications? Like, why is it so important that we believe in a God who is three persons? What are the implications of that? Um, and it comes down to um, <clears throat> this idea that I really studied when I studied this uh, big, thick book in my seminary career. I took systematic theology. I took uh, three semesters of systematic theology where we broke it down just like we're doing here in the Mill Sunday School. The first, you know, introductions, God, creation, anthropology, then another course on Christology, pneumatology, uh, soteriology, and then another class on ecclesiology, eschatology, uh, etc. And so uh, when I studied, I studied this book. This was kind of our text. And it's uh, Theology for the Community of God by Stanley Grins. And if that name sounds familiar to you, well, it's the name of the book that I referenced about a month ago. He wrote a book called Who Needs Theology? Uh, and the, the, the answer to that question would be everyone. We all need theology. We need to study it. We need to know it. And it was the book that J-Boy was reading when I showed you after nine months, you will have a theological baby. He was reading that book by Stanley Grin. So anyways, 
Stanley grins. If you asked me, hey, Joe, who's your uh, favorite theologian? Who did you really study under uh, when you took systematic theology? Do you have any favorites? I would probably reference this guy as a top five. I'd say Stanley grins uh, really changed my understanding of theology, specifically by starting off with the Trinity and how God is triune. And he said the implications for a triune God is that we as humans are built in the, in the image of God. And so uh, I think Madison Tipps kind of mentioned this, that if God is triune, then it's like, and this is just an analogy, but before God created the heavens and the earth, what was he doing in the, like that blank universe of space-time continuum? Or you know, where was he even? Like, how do you even think about God before he created space and time and mass and matter and gravity? Well, you could think about all that. It's just an analogy. But you could have these thoughts of like, man, he must have been really lonely just, you know, before he created and had something to watch and do. And, and to that, we'd say, no, wait a minute. God was triune. He always has been. He always will be. It says something about his nature that, that he is community in and of himself. That he is, um, the, the, how important it is for us, maybe, that we've been created in the image of God, that we have community. That we are not meant to be alone and, and, and just say, oh, it's just, I'm just going to go to Starbucks and read my Bible. That's my church. That's my community. We'd say, well, you need, you need someone else. You need community because God himself, his very nature is this community God inside of himself. And that's why maybe we as the mill emphasize and you'll hear us talk about dinner groups and small groups and connection and belonging. And we, we kind of say these things almost to the point of oversaying them. So you're like, what does that even mean? Well, it means that we value and we think it's so important that this idea of community of, of having people in your life and living life together because the very nature of God in and of himself is communal. And if we are created in his image, then we should take that very seriously. The other implication that I wanted to get into today, which is kind of going to overlap Christology, which if you look on all your uh, bookmarks, we won't get to Christology until uh, January. Um, but it's this idea that if Christ really is God, then, then God suffered and died on the cross. And so the triune God of Jesus, and here's a a picture that might haunt you for a little while. If you could see it clear enough, it's kind of small, but it's this picture of the dead Jesus. The painting is called uh, Body of the Dead Christ in the Tomb by Hans Hoblegin in the 1400s. And it's, it's a painting that, that I remember seeing and just kind of messing with me is, is you're looking at a dead body and it's, it's kind of grotesque, and it's like in this tiny encapsulated area, so you kind of maybe get claustrophobic just thinking about like a dead body in a small cavity. And then you begin to think, this is Jesus, and if Jesus' claims about his own divinity are actually true, then here's God, dead, um, have, having suffered and died for our sins. And if you really take that to heart, you, you begin to realize the power of the cross, that, that God died that day for, for us and our sins. And it's a, it's a painting, um, the, the, the author, uh, Dostoevsky, I can't say that, Dostoevsky, Doi, anyways, uh, he wrote Crime and Punishment, The Idiot, uh, a Russian author. He said uh, in one of his books about this particular painting is that some people may lose their faith after looking at this picture. You have to decide what you think about it because here's a, a dead body of a man and it's grotesque and it's kind of haunting to look at. But if you truly believe that this, this person, Jesus, that died 2,000 years ago was God, then your whole mindset of Christology and who God is 
changes. And you, the implications of a triune God are huge. That the God who died on the cross is, the, is, is Jesus. The same, same being as the one who suffered and died for us, which makes the death on the cross totally able to save us from our own sins because it was God who died, not just some guy who lived a good life, but God himself. And so it's with that, the, the, talking about the implications of the Trinity, that we'll end here and just, just pray. I thought we would pray with this idea of, of a triune God. We will pray to him who is triune. So God the Father, um, by your Son's grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray to you, God, we pray to you as your creatures. We, we give you uh, our lives fully. You are our creator. And God, as we are learning theology and learning about you, God, we ask that we will become responsible for what we know. Would you guide us and, and protect us here for your glory here on earth? God, we love you and praise you. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, go in peace. Um, we'll see you next week. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.